Good morning, FCC. Ah. Two. I see you woke up with joy this morning like I did. So great to see you all here. If you could, come back tonight, because we have an awesome service for you to see. A very special Christmas service at 6 o'clock. And just as a reminder, it is okay to go to church twice on Sunday. So please come back and see us. Um, so if you would all stand and join us as we sing our praises to our Lord and King.
35 says, and the angel replied to Mary and said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the, of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship, that we can celebrate Jesus. I know many people are waiting for the presence tomorrow, but let us celebrate the greatest present we've ever received, this, the eternal life through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. to see everybody today. You know, I was a little worried because I thought this whole section, that maybe they got, I don't know, some apocalypse came or something and they're gone. But now we're getting some people in this section. That's good. Well, we're here today to worship the Lord together. Amen. Amen. We're glad that you've chosen to do that with us today. This morning, we're going to lift up Jesus together and before we do some more singing, I'm going to give you uh, three minutes and to go around and please, please, please go say hi to somebody you haven't talked to. That way, particularly if we have guests here, they're not standing there like nobody likes me. Let's show them the love that we have here at First Christian Church. So go ahead and take some time and go say hi to someone.
seven, six, five, four, three, one. This is a song that we know that you all know. So please raise your voices to the Lord with us. Fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. Beyond all comprehension 
go and see that empty tomb. He's not there, for he is risen. Every heart prepare him room. Jesus Christ, the King of heaven, oh come, let us adore him. Come, let us adore him, for he alone is worthy, Christ the Lord. We give you all the glory. John 16:33 I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace you will have suffering in this world be courageous I have conquered the world Eternal hope has come 
But many Schofields. <laughs> That's your future praise team there. You can tell they're trained by a music teacher mom because when I messed up their slide, they just went on like nothing ever happened. <laughs> Appreciate that. Man. I just wanted to hear it again. <laughs> oh, that's so cute. Well, we're, a lot of people were saying Merry Christmas today. It's not Christmas yet. It's Easter. No, it's... <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just a softball right down the middle of the plate. <laughs> uh, no, it's tomorrow's Christmas, but it's coming quick. And I imagine particularly for the little tykes, man, the, and maybe some of you adults, the excitement's really building because there are gifts that will be waiting under the tree. Uh, for the teens, Santa Claus is going to be bringing you all something if you're good this year. But uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. It's exciting, isn't it? You know, I told you last week about how much fun we had when I was a kid when they put Santa Claus up on the square. And I just walked by that little house just saying, man, I can't wait, can't wait. But imagine a time when there was no Christmas. Youngsters, you'll have to Google that. But, uh, but there was a time when there was no Christmas. And imagine a time when you couldn't say, well, you know what, I'm going I'm to share something with you. Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, you couldn't do it because there was no season, and Jesus hadn't been born yet. Well, today we're concluding our series on comfort and joy. And the foundation of this message has come to us from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. When Isaiah was given the message from God, there was definitely no Christmas. The nation was a mess. People were longing for change. They were longing for someone to deliver them. They were longing for a Messiah. Through the book of Isaiah, the prophet delivered a great deal of bad news to the people. I mean, the first 39 chapters, those are pretty brutal. But then you get into Isaiah chapter 40, and it starts to change. A message of hope begins. I often wonder... What was running through the minds of the prophets when God gave them a message to share with the people? I mean, I think most people, unless you're a little bit warped, we love sharing good news. But imagine being one of those prophets. It was rarely good news coming from them. And if I'm Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, I'm like, God, can you just give me something nice to say to the people? Like, your hair looks good or something. I don't know. Just something sweet. But it was constant, man. God used those prophets to try to get people back in line. The prophets weren't very popular because of that. Uh, Jeremiah particularly, they, they didn't like him at all. But imagine being in Isaiah's shoes when God's giving you bad news after bad news, warning after warning to share with the people. And you've got to face these people. It's not like you can go lock yourself away. You were, they were with you all the time. Part of that, though, is I'm sure there is a very heavy burden on the prophets. And I would imagine those first 39 chapters that God gave to Isaiah, he was probably just very much burdened by what he's having to deal with. But chapter 40 was a turning point of that message, a hope that better days were to come. The tricky part, though, was the wait. Man, how many of you like waiting? Youngsters, there was a time, y'all, if you ever eat TV dinners, you know there's a time we had to wait 35 minutes for that thing to cook. Can you imagine standing in front of the heat, hot stove? Wait, come on, hurry up. Come on, hurry up. That Mastacholi dinner, man, that was the best thing ever made. And I'm sitting there waiting and waiting. Today you put it in and you're sitting there, this is going to take four minutes. Or three, you know. The waiting is sometimes the most difficult thing in life. You know, for 
the waiting is getting so difficult that how many of you have all your presents open today? How many are going to have them all open today? Anybody? How many of you opened some of them tonight? Wow, I admire you guys. Because when I was a kid, you didn't open anything because for one thing, Santa didn't show up until Christmas. That's what my parents told me. And um, so there was nothing really there other than a few things. But then in my house, you know, I raised two daughters. My youngest one was here today. I was so happy to see her. Uh, I raised two daughters, and so they knew how to play dad. I mean, you know, and for you young, for you girls out there with your dads, all you got to do if you want any, anything you want from them, you just go give them a little hug, say, Daddy, I love you, give them a peck on the cheek. They're yours. Their wallet is yours too, by the way. Uh, oh, man, that's hard to say no to those girls. I feel so, you know, Isla, man, watch out, Andrew. She gonna figure, she's not in here, so maybe she didn't hear that. But the fact of the matter is, we don't like to wait. And that anticipation, and then my parents would say, you can't get up at five o'clock in the morning. Well, we did, the only day of the year, probably the only day in my life, no, that's true. The only day of the year, i get up at 5 a.m. Because man, I wanted the stuff now. Well, here's Isaiah, bad news after bad news after bad news. And finally, he's saying, thank you, Lord, I finally get to share something that's not bad. But they had to wait. And wait they would do. Decades passed. Centuries passed until the fulfillment began. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. So here's, here is, um, here's Mark saying, you know what Isaiah wrote 700 and some years ago? The wait's over. I'm going to tell you about it. The fulfillment came with the birth of Jesus. It began there. Jesus, the one and only Son of God, the only way, the only truth, and the only life, the only way to get to God. The greatest gift we can ever receive begins with the birth of Jesus. You know, I've said this before. When we start talking to other people about Jesus, man, it gets uncomfortable fast, doesn't it? I mean, it really does. However, during Christmas, if you talk about the little baby Jesus, it really doesn't threaten anybody. Now, people might say, I don't believe that, but they don't get militant. They don't get mad. Why is it that they get mad when you talk about adult Jesus, but when you talk about baby Jesus, oh, the Lord Jesus lay down his sweet head. You know, we, he's, why is that? Well, you want to know why baby's not a threat, unless you're Herod. But see, adult Jesus threatens everything we've been taught, everything the world tells us, everything that we stood for, every ambition that we had, every thought that we had, every drive that we have. The very purpose of our lives is threatened by adult Jesus, not by baby Jesus. Baby Jesus is cute, and he changed his diaper or whatever. I'm, I'm sure he had, they had to do that to him. But the fact of the matter is, adult Jesus challenges everything. And one thing that we don't like as people is to be challenged. We don't like to be challenged to think about our lives. We don't get challenged to think about our purpose because we want to live under the illusion that we're under control and that if there is a heaven, hey, all you got to do is be a good person. Well, how do you define that? Well, by me, I'm good, so therefore I'm okay, and that's all that really matters to me. Well, today we're going to examine something, and we're going to examine the fact that Isaiah saw it coming and why it's significant for us today. The big idea of the message is that Isaiah foreshadowed John the Baptist who would be preparing the way for Jesus. 
So we're going to go back into Isaiah, excuse me, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Isaiah writes, a voice cries out in the wilderness, clear a pathway, excuse me, clear a way for the Lord. Build a level road through the rift valley for our God. So the first observation we're going to make this morning is we're going to see the prophecy. Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 5, and then into verse, particularly in verse 3, foretells a remarkable prophecy, revealing God's plan for a messenger who is going to come before the Messiah, who is going to come to prepare the way for him. Isaiah, of course, is speaking of the Messiah as Jesus, and he's speaking of John the Baptist as that messenger. He's using this phrase to clear away. Now, what we do this when we prepare for or to meet somebody that we have some that, that has on or somebody that we that we that we respect. If you ever go to a sporting event, one of the things that they do is the announcer, man, they get on there and they yell, number 22, Bob Jones, and the crowd goes crazy, or they boo depending on the situation. Uh, but they do, or if you ever see a knight's tale, the guy that was announcing for Heath Ledger, that guy was amazing, man. He's just really laying it on there. But when you have somebody of honor, you usually have somebody laying out the groundwork, preparing people, announcing to people. That's a way that we honor people, to say, hey, this is special. You never go to a basketball game and the answer is, number 22, John Smith, yay. You know, they're trying to get the crowd all riled up. Well, see, Jesus has this same thing happening. Whenever royalty came to, by the way, they didn't just show up. They just, they had all this preparation. And when Isaiah talks about leveling that path, they wanted to make sure that that king or that dignitary didn't have to ride on Fry Boulevard out here by Target. You know, man, that's like, my, that is so bad when I have my iPhone in its stand. It's like, it's doing this. And, and the phone says, are you okay? You in an earthquake? You know, I mean, it, one day it did that to me three times, asked me, is, you know, is there a problem here? I'm like, yeah, the problem's a stupid road here that nobody will fix. But what you didn't want is you didn't, now think about it this way. If our esteemed president would come into town, I bet you that would get fixed really fast if he had to drive through that because they don't want to shake the poor guy. But what ended up would happen, what would happen is you would clear that off. And God didn't send his son without an announcer, without somebody saying, here he is. The prophecy from Isaiah holds a significant meaning to us because, number one, it speaks of God's faithfulness. It speaks of his redemptive plan. It speaks to us saying that we need to prepare our hearts and our lives for his arrival. First of all, it reminds us that God's faithful. Isaiah wrote 700 and some years before Jesus appeared. Now, remember what I told you about Isaiah. For years, liberals said, well, no, that Isaiah was written by, I think, three. It was the last number I counted. Three different Isaiahs, different time periods, because his, his predictions, when you read it, are so precise. You look at that and say, That's, it's not like when you read, you know, read some of these prophets out there and, and, well, it's going to rain one day. Well, yeah, okay, yeah, it's going to, you know. Or uh, Jean Dixon, back in the day, you guys have to Google her. Man, she used to have her predictions. She was a psychic. And I love, I hear on the radio that California psychics, I don't know why they're in California. Well, actually, I do. But anyway, you know, I'm thinking, I'm going to call them on a burner phone. I'm saying, who, who, what's your name, sir? Will you tell me, you know? Yeah. Well, if you're a psychic, you should know all that stuff. But when you'd read some of these things, even Nostradamus, some things you read and people say, well, look, it fits this. This is the Kennedys and this is that. It's pretty ambiguous at times. But Isaiah is precise. He nails it. 
Isaiah's prophecy reminds us that God is faithful because 700 and some years before it happened, Isaiah said, I saw it coming. I saw it coming through time. Throughout history, God has fulfilled his word. His prophecy is no exception. You will not find prophecies in the Old Testament that have not been fulfilled in the sense that if God said it's going to happen, it's going to happen. There may be some future stuff. We talk about Tyre and Sidon. You should study that sometime. It's amazing what he had to say about those places. God sent a messenger to prepare the way. He will fulfill his promise to send a Messiah, the Savior. Now, the assurance of God's faithfulness brings us hope and strengthens our trust in him, even in uncertain times. You know, let's be honest, though. Sometimes we really, really question God's faithfulness. Why? Timing. We want it when we want it, how we want it. And when it's not happening when we want it, we think, well, God's not there. He doesn't care. You don't understand, God. I'm going through a terrible time right now. Where are you? Because you're not giving me the results that I want right now. Can you imagine being the people of Isaiah's time when all this bad news Isaiah's come up and then finally he says, oh, by the way, here's some hope. Messiah's going to be coming. That had to excite them because, man, they did not want to go into captivity. Of course, they didn't want it bad enough to behave, <laughs> but they, wanted to, they didn't want to go into these captivities. So I can imagine what they're saying. Oh, yeah, Isaiah, it's been 10 years. Where is he? 20, 200, 400, 500, 700. And they've been reading this prophecy for 700 and some years in the, in the synagogue, in the temple. Where is he? We hear that today. Well, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus says he's going to return. It's been over 2,000 years. Thank God, in a way, because the moment he returns, you know what's going to happen? Those who are lost are lost. It's over. Your friends and family members who don't know Jesus, they're lost. Nothing will change that. Catholic doctrine, Catholic doctrine you say, well, you can pray them out. No, you can't. You're lost, you're lost, you're lost. So one of two things is going to happen that should give us urgency. Number one, we're going to pass from this life. You know, I was teasing my daughter. I said, hey, you know, look at the house. It's going to be yours one day. You know, we're trying to fix it up so you can get a lot, get a lot of money out of it when, we sell it when you sell it out from under us when we die. But the other thing, and the other thing that will happen is the Lord's going to return. One of those things, two things are going to happen, and you don't know when either one of them is going to happen. I saw that with the founder, that they're, they're called the Chicks now. I'm not sure how that's not offensive. But anyway, she died in a car wreck yesterday. I think it was yesterday. Head-on collision. 65 years old. She didn't wake up thinking, hey, I'm going to die in a car wreck today. You just don't know. So do you have people in your life that you love that don't know the Lord? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? God is faithful. If he promised it, it will be done if it hasn't already been done, good or bad. Isaiah's prophecy points to God's redemptive plan. See, the nation always wanted deliverance from a government. Sometimes we need deliverance from our own. But the messenger mentioned here says he's preparing a way for the Lord, paving a way for salvation and reconciliation between God and man. So that birth that began with a birth doesn't end there. When we tell the story of Jesus, it's not just about that baby laying in a manger. It's about that baby who grew up to be an adult, who lived a sinless life, who was crucified, who died, was buried, and rose on the third day, and is seated at the right hand of the Father because a baby can't do anything for you, and a dead guy can't do anything for you, but the risen Savior can. And it all begins with the birth. This is why we celebrate this in part. The prophecy in John, or excuse me, was fulfilled in John the Baptist. He prepared a way for Jesus 
the ultimate fulfillment of God's redemptive plan. And all, all the Old Testament prophecies all shine right on Jesus. Through Christ, we find forgiveness, which we'll talk about in a bit, restoration and eternal life. But there's another part of Isaiah's message, is a preparation. We are told to be prepared. He uses the figure of the royal, basically slaves, fixing the road so when royalty came into town, it would be a smoother trip. It's preparatory. Well, John the Baptist, what he did, now John was a cousin of Jesus, about six months older, and if you want to read about his birth, it was pretty interesting too, what happened through his dad and mom. But the fact of the matter is, what John was doing is he was preparing people's hearts. And remember last week I talked about the fact that many times our, our gospel, our sharing the gospel fails because we haven't prepared somebody. We've just, blah, here's the gospel. And they're like, whoa, what's that? That's weird. I don't want that. John the Baptist prepared the way, prepared people's hearts. And the thing is, preparing people's hearts is so uncomfortable. You know why? Because it, it requires me to examine my life. It requires me to repent. It requires me to align my will with God's will. That's not easy to do. It involves cultivating a heart of humility, a desire to worship, and an anticipation for future fulfillment and current fulfillment of God's promises. That examination part is one of the reasons why baby Jesus doesn't offend people, adult Jesus does. Because adult Jesus forces you to examine yourself. And let me tell you something. There's a time in my life I wasn't going to examine myself. I thought I was fine, even though I wasn't. I was a train wreck. But the, the good news was that finally I sunk so low that I'm like, you know what, I probably ought to examine myself. There's, this can't continue. I'm going to end up in prison and never see the light of day. Something's got to change. And that change was Jesus. Praise God that some people cared enough to share that message with me. The gospel did not unfold according to uninspired people. It unfolded by the very plan and by the very will of God. God inspired Isaiah. He inspired the teaching of John. He inspired the writing of Mark. And some people say, well, you can't prove that. Well, the one way you can prove it's the cohesion. The message is cohesive through the Bible. The other thing, it doesn't contradict. And you can, you can also look at the prophecies that were, were done and how they've been fulfilled. You don't, a, a broken clock's right, what, twice a day, they say? But it's not right every minute of every day. The Bible is right every minute of every day. And that doesn't happen by accident. Let's go to Mark chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. So the purpose. Isaiah's prophecy spoke of one who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah. The gospel of Mark is a story of God fulfilling his promises about the coming of Messiah and the coming of the kingdom of God. In a nutshell, that's what the Gospel of Mark is about. In those first couple of verses, Mark goes back to the prophetic words of Isaiah, emphasizing that it's going to be fulfilled. It's being fulfilled through Jesus and also through John the Baptist. This passage reveals to us that Jesus wasn't just some random occurrence, but a fulfillment of divine purpose. Understanding this purpose can transform our perspective and in, it, it can ignite a more profound passion for following him. See, if we think that things just happened, 
we don't really take Jesus too seriously. And the way you can tell, the way we can tell if we take Jesus seriously is the Bible talks about by your fruit shall be known. Okay? Got to be careful a little bit here because we all struggle. Uh, we struggle with hurts. We struggle with pains from the past. And many times those can mold what we're doing today. And sometimes we don't always understand it. But in general, I should be able to look at my life and see that Jeff today is not the same as I was many years ago. I can't even do the math. It's so far back now. Or that I'm not the same as I was six weeks ago or six months ago. See, I can claim Jesus all I want, but if I'm not living for Jesus, and I'm not talking about sinless perfection, I'm, not, I'm talking about am I making the effort to live for Jesus? And then when I need to, am I willing to examine myself as hard as it is, as uncomfortable as it is? Is Jesus making a difference in my life? See, if he's not, he's nothing. And if I'm not lit, trying to live for him, then I don't really think he's anything other than a religious exercise. This is the difference between Christ and all the fake religions out there. They're based on nothing. Scientology, you know, was made up by a science fiction writer. How many people are going to follow a science fiction writer's religion? Well, there's a lot of people that do. You know, it's just crazy. But see, Scripture's not that way. Mark tells us that John is a fulfillment of the prophecy. He's that, prep, he's that one who came to prepare the way. The preparation was aimed to make people aware of their need, their need for redemption, their need to turn their hearts toward God, a need to, correct, to create openness to receive Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. As I mentioned earlier, people needed to be prepared for the coming of the Lord. John was preparing the world for Jesus to come onto the scene. The world had waited thousands of years for the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Isaiah revealed this promise over 700 years before it happened. Jesus started his ministry. People were already excited about the possibility of God doing a new work. John the Baptist was a big part of that. John prepared people's hearts. Preparation is vital if we're going to be successful in sharing the gospel. When you're going to ho go host people in your home, you usually prepare for that visit. I mean, what we do many times, we shop, we clean, we cook, we clean, we clean, we clean, we clean, we clean, and we clean. No reference to my wife there, by the way. She's not here, so she can't defend herself. But it's true. But anyway, people of Israel had misconceptions about the Messiah. Part of John's mission was the prep of, of preparation was to help their hearts to be open. See, remember, they thought, hey, military leader, we're going to get delivered from, from Rome. Yay! Nope. Something much bigger than that. You know, one of the most difficult tasks we have is getting people's attention. John the Baptist was meant to get the attention. On a knight's tale, when that guy was announcing Heath Ledger, he was trying to get everybody's attention. You know, that's why he was so over the top. And it was funny. So over the top, trying to get people, hey, look at this dude. Well, John the Baptist got people's attention. I mean, he wore a weird outfit. He ate locusts and honey, which the honey, I could eat honey like crazy. But I don't care. I'm not eating bugs. Sorry about that. I got to be pretty desperate. But, and the other thing with John is John wasn't, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. 
I want to tell you about prepare your hearts. You've got to repent. I'm going to be real meek because I don't want to shake up anything. John was very dynamic. He had huge crowds. His disciples were like when Jesus came on the scene. They're like, hey, you're losing everybody. John says, I'm doing my job. I'm doing my job. And not only that, John was so excited. He was so committed. He didn't let anything, no matter how powerful you were, to stop him from sharing the message. People say, well, Christians aren't supposed to say anything. We're not supposed to get involved in government. Tell that to John the Baptist. He got involved. <laughs> cost him his life. But he didn't care. You know why? He knew what he was doing and why he was doing it. Part of John's mission was also to fulfill prophecy. God has a purpose for each of our lives. And the thing is, it all comes in time. It's all about timing. Jesus' coming revealed God's salvation to humanity. Jesus would be bringing forgiveness, healing, restoration, and eternal life. Jesus' life would start at that birth and would end in that resurrection, embodied God's love, his mercy, and his grace. Through his sacrifice, we find redemption and reconciliation with God. Jesus aimed to bridge the gap between people and between God, offering us a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. Let's look at verse 4. In the wilderness, John the baptizer began preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. So the message. Well, have you ever received a gift you're really excited about? I mean, you just, man, you're like, wow, this is the greatest. I'm so, this is great. Now, for me, that's about anything I get because I, I always appreciate people's gifts. But you just had that gift. You're like, man, that hit the spot. That, I needed that. I really wanted that. And it made you happy. Now, have you ever received a gift you didn't want? Like a Cubs jersey or something? I mean, ugh. I can't, I can't, I can't. One time I took my, well, she's not here to defend herself, but one time my, my, some guys and myself, we went to a Cardinals-Cubs game. One of the girls wore a Cubs jersey, and I told my other coach, I said, we need to throw her out. This ain't right. But anyway, you ever receive something you didn't want? Now, what's the difference in your reaction? What is your internal response when you receive a gift that you wanted versus one you're like, oh, I can't believe they gave me this? See, the gift that you wanted, you're overjoyed to have. The one that you didn't need or want, you were thinking, how can I re-gift this? Or how can I get rid of it? Now, in the Cubs jersey, I would never re-gift it because I wouldn't want to curse anybody with that. But there's probably a couple Cub fans in here too. Sorry, I'm from the Midwest. But anyway, you're trying to figure, oh man, I can't, oh, I don't need this. I don't want this. This will get re-gifted. Well, see, John's pur pur purpose was to prepare the hearts for the people. Sometimes the difference between the one that you want and the one that you don't want, you're like, I need this. The other one, I don't have any use for this. And see, that's how it is with Jesus. See, on Christmas, many people are going to receive gifts. Now, I remember a few years ago seeing a video of some spoiled kid who opened up his gift, and it was socks, and he took them. And, I don't want no stinking socks, and he chucked them across the ground. It was funny, but that's my kid. Sorry. There's no timeouts in my house. It's called a beatdown. But anyway, um, it was horrible. But most times when we get gifts at Christmas, we're thankful to get them. And we're going to get these gifts, but are we, are we rejecting the greatest gift that's been ever given to us? 
the opportunity for salvation. See, gifts oftentimes are rejected because people don't think, I don't need this. I got seven of those. You know, when my wife and I got married, it was interesting because we had a, you know, we had a lot of friends and uh, we went to a good-sized church and uh, we only got two things that were double. Well, actually three. We got a bunch, because everybody at work, they said, what do you want? And in my house when I was growing up, we never had towels. We kept losing a towel. So we had towels that lasted for like 30 years. But, and I was glad because I don't want to buy these stupid things. But we got, I forgot, I think one of them is we got two toasters, which you don't need, but we got two electric knives, okay? So my wife said, we don't need two electric knives, and we don't need two toasters. And I said, We're, you're going to want both those electric knives. No, we don't need them. One day she found out why we needed them. Jeff was out there filleting bass on the back patio with, his, with the electric knife. What are you doing with the electric knife? I said, I told you we needed to. <laughs> You know, many people reject Jesus because they don't think they need salvation. They think they've saved themselves. Now, I do think that most of us understand we need some forgiveness, but the problem with it is, is we're going to the wrong place to get it. If you go to Jesus, you're going to have forgiveness. You don't have to carry guilt. I see so many Christians that are carrying guilt and shame from their past. Why? Are you just saying, Jesus, I don't want that part of the gift and throw it back under the tree? You don't need to do that because in Christ, your sins are forgiven. Quit carrying them. Quit being defined by them. Quit beating yourself up over them. Because God is not saying, hey, Jeff, remember how terrible you used to be? When I watched the shift, that's what Satan kept telling the guy. He says, man, you're terrible. Look what you just did. He ain't going to want you. You should go see the shift if you haven't. It's a really good movie. But anyway, Jesus says, I forgive your sins. That's part of the gift of salvation. So if you have that gift, why are you living life like you're not forgiven? Some things you can't go back and undo, but God's forgiven you. And part of repentance is trying to make what right what you can, but don't be carried by that guilt. See, John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. His baptism was different. It was, it's a one-time event that was administered by John in connection with, for, with repentance and forgiveness of sin. Now, this would pave the way for what we call Christian baptism, where a person who's outside of Christ says, you know what? I believe in Christ. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I want him to be on Lord. And knowing that needs, means that I have examined my life and said, you know what? I might not be out there killing people, but I need to change. I'm not going to live the life the way I used. That's repentance. And then that says, okay, how am I going to do this? We're going to the baptistry where our sins are forgiven. We receive the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit who helps empower us to live the life that God called us to live. And we come out a new creation, almost like a new birth, like the like. Like, the, like, the, like Jesus in the manger, if you will. That's what he offers. That is the message that John was preparing people for. And he was very effective. We prepare our house when company comes. Rachel was coming, so I was really afraid, man, we're going to spend all day Saturday doing stuff. We didn't, thankfully. But we prepared. We bought food. We cleaned the house and so on and so forth. Uh, we vacuumed. Um, Made sure the cats look good. We wanted to make things every. We wanted to make it so when my daughter came home for the first time in a couple of years, uh, she's been busy. But anyway, uh, we go see her a lot. That she felt welcome. How are we preparing our hearts and our minds and our homes and our families and our communities and our church for the coming of Jesus? The call to proclaim and prepare did not end with John the Baptist. 
it began. And our job is very similar to John the Baptist. We are to prepare the way for the Lord. We are to prepare people's hearts, help them see the need, help them understand what Jesus is, who he is, and what he's done. We have an obligation to declare. Look, I went to high school with a lot of Christians. To be honest with you, not a single one of them shared Jesus with me. I don't blame them, probably, because I wasn't very approachable. But you know what? I started, when I started meeting, meeting my wife, she told me about Jesus, and I'm so thankful she did because it changed my life. He'll do that for you, too. It began with the birth of a child. It appeared to end with the death of that child as an adult. That child, Jesus, though, defeated death, and he's seated at the right hand, and that is my Jesus. That is a Jesus of the Bible. That is a Jesus we share. God gave me the greatest gift ever, forgiveness of my sins, which I was keenly aware I needed because I'd hurt so many people, and eternal life, which began when I was saved. And I will collect in full when he returns one day or my life on this earth is over. What do you want for Christmas? What do you need for Christmas? See, if you don't have Jesus... My contention is nothing else really matters. You can have all the junk in the world. When you die, it's going to go to family. I see my daughter about that. I say, hey, we're, make sure when we die, the house is, it's, it's all yours and your, and your sister's. But if you don't have Jesus, you need him today. And we are called, our application this morning is we, have, we are called to proclaim Christ and help prepare people to receive him. And I pray that's what our mission is. This morning, though, we're going to have a song of decision. And if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning to do that. God sent his son, the birth. He sent him to the cross where he willingly went and he sacrificed his life so that we could have eternal life. That's what God did for us. We sing a song, What He's Done, and I love that song because it talks about that. But this morning, if Jesus isn't your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward this morning and to make that change. If you're an immersed believer and would like to make First Christian your home, we'd love to have you come forward. We can send the right hand of Christian fellowship. If you're struggling and need prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you. But this time, let's stand together and sing our song of decision. If you have a decision, we invite you to come forward this morning. Church ready for you, every heart 
We come to this time in our service where we get the opportunity to remember the sacrifice that our Lord made. You know, sometimes uh, during Christmas hyped services, I've always wondered, well, you know, we're supposed to really be dealing with the birth of Jesus, and communion deals with much more than that. Sometimes we think, well, just bur- it, just, it just deals with his death, but it actually deals with his whole life, because Jesus isn't just a birth, he's not just a death, he's not just a resurrection, he's not just somebody who lived, but he's in, everything encompasses, he's all-encompassing. It began well before the birth, because he's always been God, but on earth, it be, the birth began, and it culminated in his resurrection. And when we take this communion, we're telling God, you know what, I believe this to be true. I'm staking my life on it, I'm living my life based on that. And I'm doing it because I know you love me. I've always told you before I had a perception of God that he was some mean guy that's just trying to drop the hammer on me because, you know, I wasn't a very good person. 
But later on in life, I found out that God does love me in spite of who I am at times, and he loves you too. And when we take this communion, we're reminded of that love. Because think about it. If you have a child, who would you send that child to die for? We see this a little bit with our military. You know, we're, essentially, we are sending our children to the military to say, you know what, you may die for your country. But see, Jesus knew he was going to die. You know, not everybody who goes in the military dies, but plenty have. But Jesus came knowing what was going to happen to him. And if you have your child and you knew that if you sent them for somebody, they were going to die, how many of us would do that? That would be so hard. Take a lot of love. And then for the person going to say, here I am, send me, basically is what Jesus, I'll do it. Takes a lot of love. So when we take our communion this morning, let us be reminded of the love that God has for us and let us show that to others. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can come around this table. We can celebrate this time of communion, this time of love, this time of sacrifice, and Father, a time of remembrance. Lord, we're reminded by the cup of the blood that was shed on that cross, drip by drip, it covered our sins. And Father, we're reminded by the bread of the beating. Each lash was a lash that we should have been given, but our Lord took it for us. As we examine our hearts this morning, let us ask ourselves, do we love that much? Are we that committed? And the obvious answer is probably no, but Lord, help us inch closer and closer to that as we live our lives each day. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements. Uh, there, obviously, there's going to be no youth activities this evening. Rogers Group's not meeting. But at 6 p.m., we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. And if you, if you can take an hour tonight, you'll be blessed. I've been watching what they've been doing with this, and Dale and his group have put together a really good production, and we're looking forward to that. Um, during the week this week, no Bible studies. Um, we have our, our, our praise team and band practices. Um, offering envelopes, remember, if you use those in the past, you've got some back there. Do not use your offering envelopes from previous years because some of our numbers have had to change because of the numbers we're dealing with. Narrow path. January 13th, we're going on Fort Huachuca, and it's going to be fun. Uh, we're going to have hopefully a couple people get their trucks where we couldn't get ours so that they can tow us all up there. But we're going to have some fun there. So make sure you have your fort pass, though, before the 13th because it'll be hard. Lori's getting ready to do a Bible study in the 17th, so make sure you look at that. We also sent out an email on Friday with our worship links. Uh, we made a couple changes. Number one, starting in 2024. We, in the past, we've said that yeah, people can give money to individual outreaches, but to be honest with you, that's a royal pain to track, and it puts the outreaches at a little bit of a disadvantage because they don't know who's giving to them. So what we're doing now is if you give anything to outreach, it's going to go into one fund, and then the outreach team can use it where it's best needed. If you have one of our outreaches that you want to specifically support, we'll give you the address so you can send it directly to them. The good thing about the, that for the outreach is they know who's supporting them so they can reach out to you whenever they need help or whenever good things are happening. The other change we made per, per the uh, missions team, that other was the leadership team, the missions team, we are moving Operation Christmas Child into missions and we're putting CareNet into outreach because the way those organizations operate, they better fit with our strategic plan for outreach and for, um, for uh, missions. So you'll see that change beginning effective January 1. So we wanted you to be aware of that. You can read that in the bulletin. I believe that's all the announcements we have. Also, Core 52, if you've not taken a book for your family, please get one because starting January 7, I'll be preaching on chapter 1, and we're going to go all the way through it. And you, then you can work through chapter 1 by yourself. This book's not designed to speed read through it. It's designed to go through it a week at a time. Next week, one of my mentors who helped me in ministry, uh, Jeff Mahan, will be bringing the message, as long as he doesn't get stuck in New York. And if he does, I'll have to hustle and get a sermon together. But anyway, uh, looking forward to that. Jeff's a very good speaker, and he was really helpful to me when I first started out in ministry. He was preaching at my home church, and I did my internship under him. Okay, I believe that's all the announcements on the back of the bulletin. We have our prayers, and we make sure, please, keep those in your hearts. Uh, we have a lot of people we've been praying for. Some of you in this service know uh, Gloria Beck. Gloria's cancer has moved to her lungs now, and she probably doesn't have a long time. She's living in California right now. She was hoping to make it to birthday 83, and now she doesn't really think that's going to happen. So keep her in your prayers. We have praises for everybody. Who's, uh, we, who's done everything that they can so that we can come together and worship and celebrate the birth of Jesus together. We have a lot of people with health concerns, troops, shut-ins. We're focusing on all the outreaches this month and also under missions TCMI. So we encourage you to take your bulletin home. You can tear that little tab off. If it works right, I can do that. Yay! And you can stick it on your, uh, stick it on your fridge. All right, let's stand together. We'll have a closing prayer. We hope to see everybody here at 6. It's going, to be a, it's going to be a really awesome production. It's been fun to watch them do it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the blessings we have in you. And Father, I pray that as we live life this week, we live it with the intention of being like John the Baptist, not eating the locust and honey, but spreading the message and preparing people's hearts for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.